0: Thanks for checking out the weekly Harmony Church podcast. For more information and resources about Harmony Church or any of the Harmony events, check out the Harmony Church website or Harmony Church Facebook page today. Morning. So we as a church believe that Jesus was God's son and that he was sent to earth to live a sinless and a blameless life and that He gave up His life, He laid down His life on the cross in order to pay the price for humanity's sin. That through His death, that sin might be paid for for humanity. And then through His resurrection, that He would offer salvation to all of humanity, all of mankind. That everyone would have access to salvation and reconciliation of relationship to the Father. Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter two verse eleven says, "For grace has appeared that offers offers salvation to all. For grace has appeared, Jesus was grace incarnate. He was he was the visible substance of the grace of heaven, and he appeared that offered salvation to all. So Jesus longs for all, for every single person to be saved." It says in two Peter uh, chapter three verse nine that. Um, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Instead, um, the Lord is not slow in keeping His promises as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but wanting all to come to repentance. And John 3:16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever should believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God sent His Son not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So Jesus' will for the will of the Father is that every single person will come into right relationship with Him, that their sin would be paid for, that they would accept the forgiveness and they, their relationship would be reconciled with the Father, their Creator. And so as long as there is people who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior who are not walking in relationship with the Father, then we have been commissioned with a mission of inviting people into that message, inviting people into a reconciliation of relationship with the Father. And our hope is in Jesus through this. Our hope is in Jesus through this. but yet Jesus's hope is in us. Colossians 1.27 says that Christ in you is the hope of glory. That Christ in you is in the hope of glory. Even though our hope is in Jesus, that our hope isn't in our works or us performing or us striving, but our hope is in Jesus that we would see all mankind come to know Him as their Lord and Saviour. His hope is in us. He has chosen to place his hope in us. And in the Old Testament, uh, God's presence used to dwell in the Holy of Holies behind the curtain and one priest would go in there once a year. But when Jesus gave up his spirit on that cross, the curtain was torn in two and all of humanity now had access to God's presence. And First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says that we are God's holy temple where his spirit dwells. So we are now the earth's tangible manifestation of God's presence. So we are God's tangible manifestation of His presence on earth. Amen. Amen. That's good. So we are God's expression of His presence in this world. Our hope is in Jesus, but He has placed His hope in us. We expect Jesus to come back. uh, But we don't expect him to come back for a church that's stranded on a lifeboat in the middle of the ocean. We don't expect him to come back for a church, for a bride, for a community of believers that, that are hiding from the darkness of the world that are fearful and are scared. We believe that Jesus is going to come back for a hopeful bride, a glorious church, a church that is walking in their identity, knowing who they are, seeing people saved, seeing people healed, seeing people delivered. We believe that Jesus is going to come back for a glorious bride. We expect to see change. We expect to see salvations. We expect to see the light of the church get brighter. We're not expecting to see more religion but we are expecting to see more people walk into their identity and their relationship with God. We're expecting to see more forgiveness. We're expecting to see people push away the pride that's on their life and walk out in humility, knowing who God is in their life and seeing Him move through them. We expect to see things change. If every born-again believer in New Zealand introduced one person in New Zealand, to to the Father, brought them into relationship with the Father once a year, the entire of New Zealand would be saved within three to five years, depending upon your starting figure. We're a lot closer than we realise. Um, history has seen this many times: seen the beginnings and and even the movings of what God is doing in a generation or a community, an area or a city. We've seen it uh, many times. We've seen an increased rate of salvations, of healings, of of people just walking in freedom. And we've seen His hand on a movement. Um, but in every single one of these situations, we've seen that, that movement either split in two, or we've seen it cap off. And what I don't believe has happened happens in those times is that God lifts his hand. I don't believe that God places his hand on a moment and then all of a sudden just lifts it. What I believe happens is that man actually increases their hand. That what started off in the spirit ended in the flesh, that they started off partnering with God in trust. But as the growth happened, as increase happened, so did it, it exposed a lack of trust, and man took over. They increased their hand. Now, we can't just take our hands completely off and say it's 100% God. Some people will like they'll lead worship, and, and you'll be like, Man, you did so good. And they're like, It wasn't me, it was all God. Or like they'll give a preaching, like they're so good, or they'll they'll pray for someone and the person will be healed, and it's like, yeah, I understand that is all God, but in Bill Johnson's word, it's not. You're not that good, or it's not that good. It wasn't that good. Your worship wasn't that good. What you did wasn't that good. If God was doing it a hundred percent, it would be special. And that's Bill Johnson's words, not mine. But but so we do actually have to take responsibility for co-labouring with him. We can't remove ourselves from the picture because he has placed us in it. So we co-labour with him, but the tension is as we see the increase, we're actually supposed to increase our trust with him, not increase our control of the situation. So moves of God will generally come to an end because man mankind increases their hand on the situation as opposed to God lifting it. I understand that that when you steward the small it positions you to be able to steward the big. When you steward the small well, it positions you to steward the big well. But just because you steward $100,000 doesn't mean you're going to steward a million well. It sets you up to steward it well, but you still have to grow into it. And we as a church have to grow into what it looks like to steward the move of God that He's wanting to pour out in this city and in this place. I believe we are called to be a part of a move of God, but I don't want to make the same mistakes as the other movements. We as a church believe that we're going to see God move in a big way, and the bigger the move of God, the more maturity is required to steward it. We desire an increase of His kingdom, but if we as a church are not equipped to handle the increase, then we risk sabotaging the very thing that we desire. I want to talk this morning about a culture of honour. And I gave a pretty lengthy introduction there because I really wanted to highlight where I wanted this, this culture of honour to land. I didn't want to land in a place where it sits in your little side cart as an optional extra to living a good life. But I wanted to land in such a place that we would understand that walking in a culture of honour is an essential part of seeing a move of God not only begin but actually carry on and actually passed on to the other generation that we actually have to develop an understanding of what honour is and walking it out and being able to pass it on to the next generation if we're going to be able to walk out a move of God. Anything of size is either held together by control or honour. You can't have control when you have honour because honour says, I'm choosing not to control you. I'm choosing to value you for who you are. But when things get big, often mankind can want to increase the hand and take control. But instead of taking control, we need to understand what it is to honour, to honour those around us, to honour those that we are working beside, to honour those that we are working for, and to honour those that we are serving. I want you guys to understand that uh, one of the key elements to stewarding increase in God's kingdom on the earth is to understand, walk in, and reproduce a culture of honour. Honour is not... The culture of honour is not a Christendom principle, a Christendom principle. Christendom is a man-made uh, creation and it's, a, it's a often unintentional replica of God's kingdom. Christendom is an unintentional replica of God's kingdom. And in God's kingdom, you have the king at the centre. In Christendom, you have the church at the centre. And I don't mean the body of the church, I mean the four walls of the church. And it's a man-made kingdom. It's got structure, but it hasn't got substance. And, And you can take principles and you can take things that you learn in Christendom and you can take them into your business. You can take them into your school and your school will probably close down and your business will probably run dry. Because those principles only exist in a kingdom which, which operates within the four walls of the church. It's not actually transferable, but when we understand God's kingdom, we understand the principles and the things He teaches within that are transferable into business. They are transferable into the world. God God didn't say or Jesus didn't say in Matthew twenty eight, eighteen, that, that I send you into all the world with with skills and tools that only work within church. He's actually equipped us with kingdom revelation that is transferable and a culture of honour is transferable. It's, it's required to steward a move of God, not just amongst Christians, but also how we do life outside of here. The businesses we run, the people we work for, the families we're a part of. So there's, uh, there's really only one point I want to make today, and I'm just going to expound on that a bit. But it's basically that life flows from honour. Life flows from honor. Paul in in Ephesians chapter six, verse two, he's quoting Deuteronomy five sixteen and Exodus twenty twelve. Murray knows, and he quotes and he says that uh, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and you may live long life on the earth. Now this is a scripture that has fascinated me. Mm. I'm sorry. I could have tried to pretend, but no. Uh, it's a scripture that's really fascinated me, especially in the last couple of years, as I've began to notice like a reoccurring theme. And having uh, been not too far away from teenage years and kind of still in young adult years, um, I've noticed like the, the challenge between a son and his mother and father, or a daughter and her mother and father. And the challenge for them to honour their mother and father is actually one of the biggest challenges. And I actually, from my experience, like at this age, I feel like they are the hardest people to honour, especially at this age range. I'm not too sure about 30 or 40, might be different, but I wouldn't be surprised if there are some people in here who have never learnt to honour their mother and father. For some reason, despite by the age of 18, no one even coming close to serving and sacrificing for you financially, sleep-wise, time-wise, dream-wise, to your parents. I've seen over and over it be one of the biggest struggles for a son or a daughter to honour their parents and actually value them. Often they just value them based on whether they got them a nice Christmas gift or they got them brought them a car or that they gave them something that lasts like one percent, forgetting the 99 percent of hours and money and dreams that they sacrificed to them. But I've also seen those moments when a son or a daughter learns and understands the revelation of honour and the value of their parents and is able to honour them and being present for those moments, watching a daughter or watching a son and the mother and father and just tears coming down their faces as they understand what it is to honour their parents. There's a transition there from, from becoming a child to becoming an adult. And, and it says that life flows when that happens. Life flows when that happens. And I don't believe that principle is limited just to honouring your mother and father. I believe it's transferable that any time you honour someone, there is a flow of life. Any time you honor someone, there is a flow of life. And that life, I believe, is, is what Jesus spoke about in John 10:10. 10, 10. "I came that you may have life and life more abundantly." Jesus didn't give up his life on the cross so that you could dishonor your family. He didn't give up his life on your cross so you could dishonor your boss or dishonour your friends or the people that you work with. No, He laid down your life so that you could lay down your pride and you could honour them for who they are. And there could be a transfer of life in that moment, a transfer of abundant life. Life flows from honour, so when we honour, we see growth. When we honour, we see growth. If you honour a friendship, if you value a friend for who they are in your life, you'll see that friendship grow. If you honour your boss, if you honour, if you honour your church, you'll see growth in the area. If you dishonour a friendship, if you do not show value to a friend, you'll see life cut off from that friendship and that friendship begin to decrease. If you honour your body, if you value your body, you'll see a transfer of life into your body. If you dishonour your body, you'll cut it off from its flow of life. Life flows from honour. So when we honour, we see growth. Uh, this, a woman, Julian holt Lundstad, Lundstad from Brigham University, Utah, conducted a study of tens of thousands of middle-aged people. And she recorded a whole bunch of data on their lifestyles, what they eat, what, they, what their social lives were like, what their families were like. And then she came back to them seven years later, those that were still alive, and she recollected all this data. And her, her goal was to understand what was the, the biggest influences on longevity of life. What were the biggest influences on longevity of life? And she put together a top 10 list. And yes, like smoking was on there, binge drinking, fitness, dieting, they were all on there. But the surprising thing for her at that time was seeing the top two indicators of long life, longevity of life, was close relationships and daily interactions with other people. Close relationships, and the top was actually daily interaction with other people. Obviously, the types of those interactions and the types of the close relationships affect that. So you're actually better to not have close relationships and not have daily interactions than to have really bad, toxic ones. If, if you have really bad, toxic, close relationships with people, it's actually going to cause a, a decrease on your life expectancy. And if you have toxic daily relationships, it has the same effect. Now, obviously, you're better to have nothing than to have toxic. But actually, when we have healthy relationships, when we have healthy close relationships, when we have healthy relationships with people we meet each day, our life expectancy um, increases. And it increases because you cannot have healthy, keyword healthy, You cannot have healthy, close relationships and healthy daily relationships with people if you do not know how to honour them. If you do not know how to value the people in front of you for who they are, then you'll not be able to have a healthy relationship with them. But if you do understand how to honour people, how to value those close to you and to value those that you meet every day, you'll see a healthy relationship and you'll see longevity of life because life flows from honour. Life flows from honour. And these are three little points that I believe are expressions of that, of that life that flows. And Shana Greenwood, who is one of our interns and youth pastors here, wrote it on one of her assignments. So she may have got it from somewhere else, I don't know, but I'm going to quote her. Um, honour produces trust, it promotes responsibility, and it protects freedom. So honour produces trust, it promotes responsibility and it protects freedom. So honour produces trust. When you honour a friend, when you value them, when you value them speaking to you and you value their input, their words, there is a trust that's built. They're like, okay, I can actually trust you with my life. Honour produces trust. When you honour your boss, when you actually value him, you value the, or him or her, you value their equipment, you value their time, you value their tools. There is a trust that is built that they say, ah, oh, this person actually values what is mine. Therefore, I can actually trust them with what is with more of what is mine because honor produces trust. Honor also promotes responsibility. It's been a, a core value of mine to really walk out this culture of honor from the first moment I understood it, um, and and in every moment in every relationship, I seek to to honor, and I don't I don't I have a bit of a core core conviction. That I don't believe God's going to ask me to do something that, that dishonours someone. And there's pl- been plenty of times in my life where there's been something really valuable that I would really appreciate or desire that I may even feel like God's on. But there's like someone or something in the way that I would either have to cut them off and dishonour them to go straight there, or I'd have to honour them first and risk not getting that thing or seeing that thing take place. And in every situation, as best as I can remember, I've chosen to honour that person or that situation instead of trying to pursue that thing in my own means. And in every situation, like I haven't seen that thing come into my life and into fruition in every situation because we don't necessarily know what's best for us. But I have seen life flow. I have seen the relationships with those around me in every situation grow and so I've always seek to honour because I just feel like God just won't call me to step outside of honour to fulfil his will. He doesn't need me to. And so uh, the other week, um, I, uh, I, I said a bit of a comment to getting in a very um, heated meeting. And uh, I, I can't actually remember the word of what I said, but I just remember the feeling. And I just remember that feeling of like that that wasn't very honouring. I didn't value him for who he is in my life in that moment. And but so a culture of honour promotes responsibility, and therefore I am responsible for my behaviour, regardless of how other people affect me, what comes out of my mouth, and how I treat them is my responsibility. And so I was able to apologise for that and say, look, I should value you more than that, and I'm I'm apologise for dishonouring you in that moment. Honour promotes responsibility. And when you take responsibility, it also builds trust again. So honour honour produces trust, promotes responsibility, and it protects freedom. Honour protects freedom. The opposite of freedom is control. The opposite of freedom is control. But a culture of honour protects freedom. It says, I'm not willing to take control of you I'm not willing to take control of you, but I'm going to honour you and I'm going to value you as your own person. This is especially important for people we work with, for people who, especially when we're working on things that we really value, like our kids, not that I have a kid yet, but in marriage, you know, and actually choosing to honour and value them for who they are rather than trying to get them to conform into who you are, trying to control them. A culture of honour says, I'm not willing to control you. I will love you and I'll honour you and I'll value you and we're going to work this thing out. It's not black and white but I know that the, the, the solution doesn't begin with me controlling you. So honour protects freedom and... Um, as we can continue to see God moving in this church in increased ways, it, it's gonna need to be a core value of ours to not be willing to give up honour. We need to be able to protect the freedom that we have in this church and what we see what God's doing. We don't wanna raise our hand and take control because honour protects freedom. If we wanna steward a move, like, move of God unlike before, we're gonna need to know what it looks like to honour and we have to be willing to pay that price. But here's one of the biggest challenges, um, and especially when we're talking about uh, consistent consistency. Like it's really easy to honour in a moment, but if you actually want to do life long-term with people, if you want to be part of a move of God that actually passes on to the next generation, you've got to be prepared for long-term relationship. And in every relationship, it'll go through this cycle. It'll go through excitement. You're really excited. They're awesome. They're amazing. They're great. And then into disappointment, and then if you choose to work through that disappointment, that relationship will grow. A lot of people don't choose to work through that disappointment and so they, they surround themselves with people who they're kind of close with but they never push past that initial disappointment and so their relationship never grows, and they don't have any deep relationships around them. But if we're wanting to like pursue, pursue a move of God that carries on from generation to generation, we're going to have to learn how to do long-term relationship. And one of the most challenging things to do is to honour someone for who they are without stumbling over who they're not. And the longer you do life with someone, the more opportunity you have to be aware of who they're not. The more opportunity you have to see their shortcomings, their, their failings, but we have to be able to learn to honour them without stumbling over who they're not. Can we honour people for who they are, who they are without stumbling over who they are not? People will dishonour you. That will happen, and if you want to lead in in a public manner in any way, whether you're leading a business or a group of people, like people will dishonour you publicly, but we need to be able to rise above that and be able to hold a value of honour regardless of the value of honour that people hold around us, that they don't control our honour, but we actually control that, and we can choose to honour people despite their actions. Two of the main reasons why we struggle to do this, we struggle to honour people for who they are without stumbling over who they're not. One of the main reasons is we don't actually see them for who they are. We don't actually see them for who they are. We we only see them for the dirt that's on their life. We only see them for the junk or the mistakes they've made. We're unable to actually see past that and see the inherent value that they have as, as mankind of being made after God's image. We can't actually see the inherent gold that God has placed inside of them. We only see the junk that's been kicked over them and that they're communicating. So one of the main reasons we struggle to honour people for who they are is because we don't actually see who they are. And the second reason that we, honour, we struggle can struggle to honour people for who they are, is we think honour is an endorsement. We think to honour someone is to, an endo- to endorse them, to endorse their behaviour, to endorse their lifestyle. But but honour being an endorsement is something that is, that is birthed out of a religious or a politi- political spirit that doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. Because in in, in the realm of religion or or the political realm, to honor someone is to endorse their behavior because that's like there's no real other function in that in that moment rather than you're just endorsing them. That's all you have. But Jesus said in John 6, verse 63, that my words to you are spirit and they are life. And when we honour, we honour, we are full of the Holy Spirit. Life flows from honour. And when we honour, there is a substance that actually transfers and actually influences that person's value system. So it's not an endorsement. It's actually a kingdom interaction. You're not endorsing their behaviour, you're influencing their life. So when we honour people in the kingdom, we're not endorsing their behaviour or their lifestyle, but we're releasing a substance into them which we believe is the Holy Spirit, the the abundant life that Jesus paid for that has an ability to influence the value system of their life. There can be people who, who are running very perverted organizations pursuing, pursuing money and significance in people, and all of a sudden they get honored by someone for who they are and they feel something they haven't felt before. And that, that thing can shift their entire value system to where all of a sudden money and, and significance with the other sex is no longer their main value. They won't may not understand what happens in that moment, but they will when they know Jesus. As their saviour. The two main reasons why we can struggle to, while we get tripped up on who people are not, is we can't see them for who they are. And we think honour is an endorsement. But honour in the kingdom releases life and actually affects the value system of people that we honour. Do you just want to come up now? Can you honour people for who they are without stumbling over who they are not? Revival is not a comfortable walk in the park. There will be people in your world, there will be junk in front of you, there will be people who you really love who will will hurt you or disappoint you in moments. And it is in these moments that we need to know how to communicate honour. We need to know how to value people as God sees them. If we can learn to walk in a level of honour that doesn't endorse but releases life, a level of honour that produces trust, that promotes responsibility and protects freedom. If we can learn to walk in that sort of honour, we will not only position ourselves to see a move of God like the city has never seen before, but we'll position ourselves to steward the increase, to steward the greater thing that God wants to do and in order to let Him finish what He started, not the other way around. Would you stand, please? I'm just going to pray for us before we go into worship. So feel free to just position yourself however you feel. But Jesus, we just want to know what it looks like to to replicate, to to see your kingdom manifest here on earth. We want to know what it looks like to value your children like you value them, to see them as you see them, to value and honour them for who they are. Jesus, we just pray that you would just give us that courage and that faith to, to be able to get over the disappointment, get over the discouragement, the times when, when we could stumble over who people are not in our lives and we would be able to honour them for who they are in you, God. Would we see a culture that flourishes not on control, but on honour? Where people walk around, they know how to value the land they walk on. They know how to value the relationships they're a part of. They know how to value the community that they're a part of. Jesus, would you teach us what it looks like to honour? Would you teach us what it looks like to honour you, to value you, and to worship you?